Welcome to episode 13 of Shane Talks 99. The date is April 2nd, 1999, and this is going to be a rough episode. Morning, you guys up front. And just like I walked out on one of these movies in 1999, I don't blame you if you walk out halfway through this episode. Uh, in my entire history of going to films in the cinema, there's only been one film I have ever walked out of. Now, there's thousands of movies that I'll start watching them on a streaming service or, you know, at home and I'll stop them and never finish the movie. But as far as going to a cinema, sitting down, consciously choosing to be in an auditorium, only one time could I not make it through an entire film. I've sat through, I've sat through some really bad movies in my life that I've never gotten up and walked out of. But this one, this one I did, and I had to, and it was bad. So we're going to talk about it this week. Obviously, what happened, because of those two movies that came out two days ago, the the amazing film of The Matrix and the really good film of 10 Things I Hate About You, this weekend was kind of left over with some crap, some stuff that wasn't wasn't the best, wasn't blockbuster-ish. Um so we got an absolutely terrible film that I forced myself to sit through the entire thing of yesterday. 23 years after I started watching this movie, I finally saw the second half of it. Our second movie that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, I know it never played at a mainstream theater, at least not the one that I worked at. It probably played at our sister location, the Castleton Arts Theater. I can't, I can't confirm that for 100%. I don't remember it playing there, but it definitely did not play the theater that I was working at. So I think this might be a short episode, but at the same time, we all know that I like to talk a lot. So 23 years ago, I was a floor staff employee. I was working for Jason's older brother, Dave. He was my boss at the Clearwater Theater. Uh, we had just recently watched The Matrix together. So when we were closing out uh, a couple of days later, he told me, hey, I got to stay and watch the out-of-towners. You know, back then, back in the day, we had quality control screenings that we had to do because we had to make sure that uh, the films were spliced together properly. It wasn't like now where it just comes in on a digital hard drive and, you know, it's a digital file now. Uh, we actually had physical people splicing reels of film together and there was human error back then. So you had to watch everything to make sure all those splices went through properly. So Dave was like, I have to stay and watch the out-of-towners. Uh, you want to stay and hang out with me? I look at Dave as like an older brother to me. So when he asked me, I said, sure, I'll stay and watch the movie with you. Let's do it. We we, did, we didn't make it through the whole movie together. Uh, about halfway through the film, we we did something that, that, you know, I've never, I said I've never done it but since then. And, and we walked out. I, I never knew how this movie ended. Um, it was based on a Neil Simon play. I'd seen scenes from this movie done in my drama classes in my life. Uh, I knew it was um, a remake of a 70s film. I believe Walter Matthau starred in that one. Still never watched that movie either. This one left such a bad taste in my mouth, I couldn't do it. So like, as I was re-watching it yesterday, I started having, you know, a little bits of memories of, oh, I remember this, I remember that. And, like, we got to the point where our two main characters end up at the Nymphomaniac Sexaholics meeting. And I was like, ooh, would this have been where Dave and I were like, man, we've had enough of this movie. I, I mean, I don't know, maybe. But then kept going a little bit more and, and a scene hit me where I remember this was the scene where Dave looked over to me and was like, I'm done with this movie. Uh, it's the scene where we have uh, John Cleese is in the movie and 
there's a scene where our two main characters, well, one of the two main characters catches him in a, uh, he's the hotel manager. They catch him in a hotel room, uh, high heeled shoes on, a, a woman's jacket on and a woman's headpiece on. And he's uh, singing and dancing around uh, to the song Bad Girl. Um, obviously, you know, done as a, a, a comedy bit, but I remember after that scene, Dave was like, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, I agree. So uh, we got up, we, we watched the movie in Cinema 6. I remember that it was the, the biggest one on the left side of the concession stand. And the video games were directly in front of it in the lobby. So we were able to prop the doors open so that we could peek our heads in and see that the movie was still playing and was still in frame while we stood at the Time Crisis 2 machine. Dave uh, put it on free play for us and we played, you know, another hour of Time Crisis 2, ended up beating the game while not watching this crappy movie. Um, so I, I've learned that everybody, like this movie is so bad that everybody is just willing to, to let you stream it. Like it's on HBO Max, it's on Cinemax, uh, Cinemax Go, I think they call it. Uh, it's on DirecTV to stream and it's even free if you want to stream it on the Hoopla app but I don't recommend it. I don't recommend watching any of it. Like this, like I was watching it going, this is like a GoBots version of a John Hughes film. Like it, it has attempts. It's like a, a piss poor made for TV wannabe fanboy version of a John Hughes film. Like it's got stuff that it wants to be John Hughes. Like it's got, you know, the, the comedy attempts it's got you know miscommunication it's got you know one character talking about one thing while another character is talking about something else and they're not communicating properly like it's got all the stuff that john hughes does so well and neil simon is a brilliant playwright i don't understand how this was adapted into into such garbage like i just it's it's got two really good actors in it with Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn. I usually like the majority of the work that the two of them do. Their performances in this movie are they literally are just like phoning it in. It's it's they feel flat. They don't feel enjoyable. Like it's 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 like they didn't even enjoy making the movie. They knew it was so bad. John Cleese is in it. He's kind of the only thing that's okay. He's very John Cleese. Uh I don't know if the character was specifically written for John Cleese or if he, you know, changed some of his lines or dialogue or scenes or just made them better himself by being in it. He does his best, but like, it's still pretty bad. Uh, the film is directed by a guy named Sam Weissman. Uh, I should really like this dude. He directed D2 The Mighty Ducks. You know, I'm a huge fan of The Mighty Ducks franchise. It, it doesn't help. Like uh, Sam Weissman just does not have a, a great directing uh, resume. His last movie he directed was in 2003 when he directed uh, David Spade in Dickie Roberts, former child star. On his resume is also the 1997 film George of the Jungle. Um, while he did do some TV directing up until 2009, like his resume pretty much stops in 2009. If we look at Rock and Rotten Tomatoes, The Out-of-Towners currently holds a 27% for the critics and a 31% audience score. Both of these numbers are way too high for this movie. This movie is a 15% in my opinion. Like, this is an epic fail of a product of a finished film. So, I can finally say that after 23 years, when Dave and I started this movie... I was now able to finish it and was not entertained for a single of the 100-minute long movie that I watched. Don't recommend it. 
don't stream it for free on Hoopla. Just it's not worth any of your time. All right. Let's move on now. We're going to talk about a different movie. A movie that, again, I didn't, I don't know when it was released here uh, locally in Indianapolis in 1999. I don't, I know for a fact it didn't play at my theater, which was a mainstream theater. And I spent a lot of time at the Arts House. It was our sister theater in town. I don't remember it playing there, but it probably did. Um, the movie is called um, A Walk on the Moon. It's, um, I don't know. It's when, when it was at the video store in 2000, I really remember seeing the box art a lot. And it was always one of those ones where it was like, oh, that looks interesting. You know, it's, you know, a guy and a girl laying with essentially what's at Woodstock when you watch the movie, but laying down head to head. Never got around to watching it. Um, so yesterday, finally made the time to sit down and watch the movie. Uh, it took me a long time, and it unfortunately opens with the now black mark of seeing the Miramax logo at the beginning of a movie. Granted, it's on every Kevin Smith movie, well, a lot of the early Kevin Smith movies when I watch them. Um, so, you know, it sucks having to see it, knowing, you know, how the Weinsteins have tarnished their body of work that they did while they were running the Miramax company. But, eh, you know, and it's kind of weird because Miramax eventually became the property of Disney, but uh, Disney streams their stuff on Hulu. Some For some reason, this film, I had to find it on Paramount Plus to stream. So I don't know. I don't know how the contracts ended up working out or, you know, or what happened with it that it ended up becoming a Paramount Plus movie to stream. So that's where you can watch it if anything I say interests you in it. Because I do kind of regret not seeing this movie in the theaters. I don't, I, I regret not seeing it back in the 90s. Because while it's not perfect, uh, and I'll get to, you know, some of my issues with it, it's still something that I really enjoyed watching the movie. I'm glad I watched it. And it would have been fun to watch, you know, 23 years ago. In the 90s, I always felt like I was born a little too late. I loved music from the 60s and 70s. Like going to Woodstock was one of those things that I really wanted to do. And this film is filled with amazing music. We've got stuff from Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix, Bobby Darin, The Yardbirds, the Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Janis Joplin, Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young are in here. Like my buddy Jimmy, he uh, he probably loved this soundtrack. I don't know if he ever watched the movie or if he ever listened to the music from it, but these are all bands that I know he loved. Um, so I'm, I'm sure he would have loved that soundtrack. Um, like I said, uh, it, the movie takes place around the time of Woodstock. It's the summer of 1969. And like even in the year this came out in 1999, 30 years later, uh, we had Woodstock 99. And as much as I wanted to go to Woodstock when I was younger, I really wanted to go to Woodstock 99 that summer. Like it was one of those things like, I'm going to go to Woodstock. I'm just going to drive out there. I'm going to go do it. Well, I never did. And thank God that I didn't. Because knowing, knowing the type of person I was in 1999, knowing the substances that I was abusing with myself and putting into my body back in 1999 like I would have ended up dead or in jail if I had made it out there for Woodstock 99 so thank god that never happened getting back to the movie set in the summer of 1969 two major events kind of transpire throughout the movie one of them is some of the characters ending up at Woodstock and then the other one is a bunch of the characters watching the moon landing together um, when we look at the, the main cast of this movie, uh, the father of the of the family is Leo Schreiber, huge Miramax, you know, employee. He did a lot of movies for Miramax, including the Scream movies, Phantoms, um, and a couple of other things at this time. So Leo Schreiber, you know, get, getting his, his time in front of the camera in a Miramax film, and his wife is played by Diane Lane. 
Diane Lane is somebody who her entire career, I've always found her extremely attractive. She's always been, you know, that older woman to me. Um, so it was, it was nice to be able to go back and see her, uh, you know, as I would have remembered seeing her in 1999. And she is just absolutely gorgeous. She, she has aged to perfection, much like a fine wine. She was, she was beautiful then, still looks beautiful today. So it was really nice getting to go back and see her acting like in her like prime. Her daughter, uh, well, their daughter, Leah and, and Diane's daughter in the movie is played by Rogue herself, Anna Paquin, you know, a year before the X-Men movie came out. We've already talked about Anna Paquin in 1999 because she played Zach Seiler's little sister and she's all that. And next, uh, later this year, I want to say it's like August, she's in a movie called It's All the Rage that uh, has quite a few other actors that we've mentioned, you know, in the last couple of weeks. So that's going to be a big movie to talk about, even though it was kind of not really a big hit. So that that family dynamic, the three of them and their younger brother, uh, the actor I don't know, uh, they end up going to the Catskills for the summer. But Liam Schreiber's character has, still has to drive back to New York City uh, to work during the week. So the family is there for five days by themselves while, you know, mom and then Liam Schreiber's mother uh, is another character that's there also. She's there helping with the kids and whatnot, but it it just gives Diane uh, Lane's character, she just really feels isolated and alone, like taking care of the kids by herself, you know, not really have any friends up there or anything. And that's when she ends up meeting and finding companionship with a Vigo Mortensen. And we're like two years away from him becoming uh, Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings franchise. It's kind of a good weekend for Lord of the Rings because, you know, on April 2nd, we've got Viggo Mortensen. And two days ago on March 31st, we had uh, Hugo Weaving uh, when he was in the Matrix films. So getting ready for that for that Lord of the Rings stuff coming up in two years. And I don't I don't know what it is about casting Viggo Mortensen around this time, but he definitely had like a, uh, a vibe that he gave off because the year before in 1998, he was the object of another married woman's affection when he was in A Perfect Murder, the remake of the Hitchcock movie. So I guess that's kind of what Hugo was was known for at that time was being the like guy that every woman wants to cheat on her husband with. So it's a lower budget 90s film that we're dealing with here and not not a really big studio picture. So I don't think it was shot on 16. It still looked like it was shot on 35, but it just had like a grainy, gritty bit to it that probably was used to give it the vibe that it's old. It's from the 60s and stuff like that. Um, uh, Diane Lane's character de-evolves because of her isolation and loneliness and leads her to having those wandering eyes to Vigo. They share a lot of friendly moments together that then end up going like full hardcore um affair and we get to see Vigo's nice butt uh in their in their in the water sex scene that they have in this movie um the interesting part about this movie is it's not it's not just about that uh the whole film really is a is a family dynamic movie but at the same time it's a mother daughter really like it's a coming of age story for a woman which could potentially be like why I never really made my time to watch it like you know it's 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 kind of like i would i would compare it to the way way back uh, as a as a coming of age story for you know a young boy uh this is very similar concepts very similar um anna paquin going off getting away from her family getting away from her mother and and trying to find love for herself trying to you know date a boy uh get a boy to like her she has her first kiss this summer she ends up having her first period this summer like it's it's a total coming of age story for for young Anna Paquin 
and like she experiences all of this stuff and then kind of like rubs it in her mother's face that she's like you know growing up and she's like pushing boundaries and she's trying to like at one point she tells her mother that she had sex with one of the boys you know that that's around and it's literally just done to get her mother's attention so it's a really good mother-daughter dynamic also that i that i thought was really cool to to watch and enjoy and it, it, it leads up to Diane Lane's character, like explaining to her daughter, like, I got knocked up with you when I was 17. Your father's the only person I'd ever slept with. And I literally had to grow up really fast. And I never got to be with anybody else. I never got to experience what it was like to, you know, feel wanted by anybody else. Because, you know, Leah Schreiber and her got married. And, you know, that's the way things were back then. Uh, and it's her attempt to kind of justify what she's doing with Viggo Mortensen's character. So... I enjoyed the first two thirds of the movie pretty well. I thought things played out fairly well for the story that was being told. The final third, I'm just not a huge fan of. I don't like how they wrapped things up. I don't like uh, the confrontation between Liev Schreiber and, and Diane Lane's characters. I don't like how they handled it. I think it could have been written differently and better than what they did. So while I, while I do think it's a good movie and I do enjoy what it was, I'm not completely a fan of of their choices for it so the other thing that i really liked about this movie looking into it i found out that it was directed by tony goldwyn an actor who i really like um who in 1999 we will talk about him a little bit when we talk about disney's tarzan because he was the voice of tarzan um another thing for for tony goldwyn that's pretty uh, awesome and worth noting is the fact that in 2006 he ended up directing the zach braff jacinda barrett film the last kiss which is one of my personal favorite movies. Um, I actually really, really enjoy it. I love the soundtrack. A lot of people think that Zach Braff directed it, uh, just kind of because he was coming off of Garden State and stuff like that. But it actually was directed by Tony Goldwyn. Um, probably, I mean, I enjoy it a lot more than Garden State. And it's interesting because it also deals with a with a main character who is involved in some infidelity. So I'm not saying that that's Tony Goldwyn's like MO or anything. I just find it interesting that he was able to tackle both of those films pretty well so kind of a slow dull week april 2nd 1999 but that's because we just had two amazing films that came out two days earlier and next week april 9th we have two really good movies um it's a teenage weekend uh if you were a teen you probably double featured it bought a ticket for one snuck into the other one uh we have go and we have never been kissed so super excited to talk about both of those movies go one of my all-time favorite movies especially from 1999 both the film and the soundtrack are are things that i love never been kissed one that i've been revisiting a lot recently uh with the regular podcast having Jason Richardson on there and that's one of his favorite movies from this time period like I've gone back and watched it a couple of times in the last two or three years uh, our rom-coms episode and then in, in 2019 when I was trying to rewatch a lot of these movies from 1999 um, it, it's it's really enjoyable a lot better than I had remembered it being so it's gonna be a lot of fun to talk about both of those episodes next week really appreciate you guys listening if you made it this far if you walked out halfway maybe in 23 years you'll finish the episode Thanks.